It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself in the world, but it don't need something in your own head. Beat it up and I've got no people. And I'm supposed to with the fear fight down. Like fire in the fire, Mr. Jim's other gangs in the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, but you're beating down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. In the dark heart of the city... A mysterious figure known as Dr. Bones. This is the hour of doom. And bloom. Hey friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour. A magical minute of mystic morality (laughs) in an immoral world. Oh my gosh. That's a mouthful. That is. A (laughs) lot of ums in that one. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand post videos and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton. I am a certified nurse midwife and an advanced registered nurse practitioner. And the hostess with the mostest. And together we are the gang of two, the prodigious pair, the courageous couple, the geezer and the goddess. And we are here to help you keep it together even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, (laughs) have you been injured in an accident with a rambunctious raccoon? Well, our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship is ex- is implied <laughs> between the hosts and listeners. I need more coffee. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Ah, but in times of trouble, on or off the grid, will you know what to do if somebody gets sick or injured? Come on, prove to the world you got more sense than a can of crickets by learning what to do for injuries and illness when a disaster hits. And while you're at it, doesn't it make sense to get some supplies, maybe a quality medical kit to go along with all that knowledge? Well, I think so. And what better place to get it than the lovely Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They'll help you handle medical issues you'll face in any disaster, and they're designed by yours truly and honest to gosh medical doctor, that's me, and hers truly, <laughs> an advanced registered nurse practitioner, that's her. And, <laughs> and I invite you to compare our kits for contents, quality, cost, with anybody else's stuff, or just ask anybody who's ever bought one, and I think you'll agree 
Our kits are the ones that you should have in your medical storage. Hey, you know, we learn as much from you guys, actually a lot more than <laughs> as you do from us. So send us something, Sandy, and reach out to old Dr. Bones and lovely Nurse Amy. It's easy, and here she is to tell you how. Yes, please feel free to email us anytime at dr, that's for doctor, drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Like or follow or both our Doom and Bloom Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And please don't forget our YouTube channel at drbonesnurseamy. That's right. Also, our other podcast, American Survival Radio, Current Events, and Political Talk, now broadcast from KPJC Relevant News Talk Radio out of Salem, Oregon, The Voice of Lubbock, Texas, Radio KRFE, KFAR, Fairbanks, Alaska, KIMB, Talk 365, Internet Radio, our good friends at Prepper Broadcasting and other great networks. Thanks so much for carrying our show. We also want to say thanks to the folks at KYAH Utah for picking up our Survival Medicine Hour podcast and also to our friends at Prepper Broadcasting, USA Emergency Broadcasting Network, Survival Central, and all the other great networks that carry our medical program and our preparedness program. So who are we? If you don't know, I'm a medical doctor, MD, of... The American College of Surgeons, American College of OBGYN, I am a fellow of both, and this lovely creature here is not only an advanced registered nurse practitioner, but she is also a certified <clears throat> nurse midwives, has more initials after her name than I do. And Are you sure? Besides, Maybe it's a tie. We'll call it, we'll call it a tie, darling. All right. <laughs> and besides all the different ways you can connect with us, you can also see our articles and the likes of Magazines like American Survival Guide, Survivor's Edge, Backwoods Home, Prepare, uh, and also websites like The Daily Caller, Intellectual Conservative, Conservative Truth, Lou Rockwell, Joe for America, among others. Our book, The Survival Medicine Handbook, is now in its third edition. It's called The Essential Guide for When Medical Help is Not in the Way, and it won the Book Excellence Award in the category of medicine for 2017. Well, if you haven't heard from, of us, well, howdy. And I promise you, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Aw, that's sweet. That's right. Well, you know, it's winter, and you can really expect it's cold winter, weather. And, you know and what I'm even hearing? where we are, I'm hearing your jacket ruffle around. Maybe we should take your jacket off, darling. That I probably, <laughs> yeah. You know what? I probably should. Well, I'll tell you, there we is, are indoors today. Although yes. it, we didn't put the heat on last night. And believe it or not, in South Florida, it actually got into the low 40s. Although that's right. it was was predicted to go to 39. Which is pretty Didn't, amazing. Pretty darn amazing. And if it's like that down here, I can just imagine how it is up there. I know that recently a blizzard dropped five feet of snow in the Erie, Pennsylvania area of all places. And right here in South Florida, where we're based, it's 41 degrees right now. And luckily, it's going to warm up in the next few days for us. I wouldn't call it blizzard weather, but... It's burr weather. That's Get right. <laughs> I'll tell you who does not like that. There's who? actually two things. Our citrus is All right. very yeah. unhappy when the temperatures go to a right. certain point. We have orange and grapefruit trees. We and, do. Le and lime and lemon trees, and too. And we pick, pick them all before, and we also wrapped up our tomatoes. Mm -hmm. But you know what else doesn't like the cold? The iguanas, which oh. is not a bad thing because they're... An they're exotic in, species. 
So they're not invasive yet, are they? Yes, I think there are invasive think, are they, species. Have they, they moved wind into up, invasive? Well, but you know, the thing about them is that they are uh, herbivores. That means that they don't eat meat, so they're not eating any fish. They're not eating, they're not eating, eating, eating any other lizards. <laughs> there are, I don't know if they eat each other, but that I know I've seen one eating like hibiscus flowers and things like that. So uh, that. I, it just, I guess, depends on what their effect is upon the habitat of other animals and also the plant life in the area where they're in. So I, they're actually sort of cool they looking, are as you can imagine. They look like got, dinosaurs. You, remember the last die-off? How many years ago has that been? We That's had been about seven freeze, or eight years. But yeah. that actually went down to 31, yeah. 32. Yeah, it killed a bunch of them. Yeah. And so that's, I guess, They've nature's just way. just come back. I mean, yeah. they're... So there's, as, I would say there's as many now mm-hmm. as there was before that frost right. we that, had. And you know what else gets affected by cold weather like this is the peacock bass. They're also invasive oh, yes. or, or not native to this area, and uh, they're beautiful fish, but uh, they also don't like the cold weather too much either. We shouldn't always allow these um, species to—what they do is they kind of knock out the natural— flora and fauna that we have oh it's absolutely like the pythons oh yeah the pythons in in the flora everglades which you could actually see from our back window uh, <laughs> actually but we don't have, see the pythons right I will right say. <laughs> but they have knocked out more than 90 percent of the small mammals in the florida everglades and i don't know how those things are ever going to come back with all these pythons around they've found they, they find them all the time and some of them are 17 feet almost 18 feet long uh, it is a big issue. It sure is. But we're not talking about here so much as we're talking about the rest of the country because, you know, there are going to be winter storms in the month of January, and they're going to be pretty significant. They're certainly, if you're unprepared, it could certainly cause fatality. Also, it is a serious, serious issue. I think it's one of those things that when you're freezing to death, you don't always recognize it. And they, it seems to me that they've said there's a passivity, that you just sort of give up and sort of just let it happen. You become sleepy. Right. You yep. just sort of say, you know, you know, I'm just going to go to sleep. You don't, you, your brain is not on the red alert with the alarms and the lights flashing saying, you know, warning, warning, warning. Your body just kind of says, oh, you know, whatever. And that's very scary. Absolutely. Because your normal fight and flight reactions to things isn't happening and your judgment is impaired and exactly all sorts of terrible things i think can that's happen. what makes it a little more frightening than other things if, if say there's a fire mm-hmm. in your house your brain is immediately thinking how do i escape how do i get out of here how do i you know fix this and mm-hmm. and not die you, you flee and you figure out how to get out but with the hypothermia just so many sadly um, a lot of elderly people yes. have issues with this. Right, exactly. They can't tolerate it, and they don't have the mobility to always get up and do something about it. And it's very sad. You hear of the older folks that pass away when these winter storms. Right. If you, yeah, in this kind of weather, guys, check on the old folks in your on your block. I think that would be be a good neighbor. A, a good yeah, be being a good, a good neighbor, neighbor you might save might save a life. Right. Now the funny thing is that you met, we talked we just. Are talking about hypothermia right now. We're going to be talking about that in a couple of minutes as uh-huh. well. But only 25% of the deaths in winter storms are actually from hypothermia. And in reality, almost three quarters of the deaths uh-huh. 
are due to traffic accidents. That makes that sense. That occur. People slipping and sliding and crashing into things, totally, crashing into each other. You know what? When you think about it, it totally makes absolute sense. If you don't have to be on the road, don't get on the road. Just don't. You know, you don't need those crackers or that yeah. bottle of soda <laughs> yeah. so much. You know, now if you absolutely have nothing to eat, and I mean you've eaten your peanut butter and your crackers, <laughs> you know, and there's not oh. a morsel left, you got to do what you got to do. Although I would try to wait that storm out. Hunger is better than dying in a car accident. So wait wait a little wait, while, wait see if it that clears maybe. out right and your visibility increases. But unless it's an absolute emergency, folks, or your work just is not understanding, get off the road. It's that's right. very scary. That that's actually true. Now you mentioned you just mentioned about work being not being understanding. It would be great if you could stay home and and be warm and cozy. Right from but, November until March. Right, but life, <laughs> but life gets in the way. It does. It really does. Most folks have to make a buck to pay the bills. Most of us don't work don't work at home, so it's pretty obvious that you're at risk for one of those traffic accidents I mentioned or other things. I mean, strong winds can cause damage, wind, uh, wind chill issues, trees and power lines down. You know because they're carrying all this heavy snowfall, Absolutely. all sorts I, of additional hazards. I also have another question. Why why don't babies know that they need to wait until the storm clears? What is with the having the babies yes. during oh, the I know. storm? Right, we Even delivered a mo- lot of babies in our early careers. During storms. Yeah. But I will tell you that most animals, there's some instinct that shuts labor down when there's danger. Like deer, I think if there's a fire or uh, they get scared, they actually stop. stop labor until they get to someplace safe i hadn't read that it's interesting yeah why why can't we do that as humans it's like nope not a good time when it comes it comes i'm in the car (laughs) or we're stuck at home in an airplane you know just not a good time we're gonna postpone this everyone just you know put your gloves away (laughs) (laughs) hey if you don't bundle up then indeed as amy said you are a candidate for hypothermia whether it's on a wilderness hike or if you're stranded on a car in your car on a snow covered highway well the physical effects of exposure cold are what amy calls hypothermia and they can be life-threatening it's a condition in which the body core temperature not the temperature you feel when you touch your yeah, your forehead, but the core, your body core temperature drops below the temperature necessary for normal body function and, and metabolism and things like that. Now, ordinarily, the body core is somewhere between 97.5 to 99.5 degrees Fahrenheit. That uh, translates into 36 uh, degrees Celsius to 37.5 for our Canadian friends. Uh, cold-related illness occurs once that core temperature dips below about 35 degrees Celsius, 95 degrees Fahrenheit. And it is amazing how small a range of temperature our bodies can really tolerate. It's amazing that the human race was able to survive all these know, years right? in through ice ages and things like that. You'll see reports, actually, of people surviving much lower temperatures if they fell through the ice and things like that. But oftentimes these are the exception and not necess- and, and not the rule, if, certainly if it's any more than just a, a minute or two. Now, when the body is exposed to cold, it really kicks into action, wants to produce heat, and it does this by the muscle activity that we all know as shivering. And this is going to be the first symptom that you're likely to see of somebody who's not adequately prepared for the cold. 
As things worsen, it's a warning, really, if you think about it. As things worsen, you can wind up seeing more symptoms if you do not get warm. And uh, those symptoms are going to be mostly related to mental status. Now, these effects occur due to the effect, uh, due to the cooling of the brain. The colder the body core gets, the cold, the slower the brain works, the slower the brain <laughs> works. That's right. And brain function is supposed to cease at about 68 degrees Fahrenheit. Again, you'll see exceptions to this. But you'll notice, obviously, strange behavior on the part of this person. The person's going to be, as Amy mentioned, lethargic, uncoordinated, probably confused. And uh, they'll slur their speech. Uh, they, they'll appear apathetic and uninterested in helping themselves. You go up to them and say, what's happening, man? And they'll say, oh, I'm dying of the cold. I'll take, I think I'll take a nap now. And that's exactly it's what horrible. they do. I, yeah, I, I they didn't take mean a nap. snicker, but you were saying they, you're kind of funny, hon. You're, <laughs> you're actually pretty funny. They take a very long, <laughs> long nap. And that's the last nap they'll ever take. Yeah, sadly. So what do you do if you come across someone obviously in trouble in the cold? Now, remember this. If you ever encounter a person who's unconscious, confused, or lethargic, not acting normally in cold weather, assume that they are hypothermic until proven otherwise. You have to act fast to try to reverse the ill effects of hypothermia, and here's what to do. Number one, you want to get that person out of the cold. If there's any place that's warmer nearby, get them there ASAP. That's going to be very important. If you're unable, however, to move the person out of the cold, be sure to at least place a barrier between them and the wind. And especially, and people don't think about this, the ground. The ground is cold, and any mm -hmm. cold that touches the body directly, like frozen earth uh, or winds that drive the wind chill factor, it speeds up the loss of heat and worsens the outcome. Oh, wind chill factor. By, wind chill factor takes into account the strength of the wind. Uh, given the ambient temperature. And so if the temperature outside is 25 degrees, but the wind chill factor is 10, you know that you're losing heat from your body as if it were 10 degrees out, not 25 degrees. And so this is something that's very important, and people don't really take that into account. They no, dress you just look at the, your right, phone. What the temperature it is. says yeah. weather. Right. It doesn't say the wind chill factor, <laughs> right. most likely on your iPhone. Well, let me see if this one does. What does it say? I don't think so. Nope. Oh, wait, here. Humidity. Oh, feels like. Uh, feel so like. Okay, I, well, the iPhone weather mm -hmm. has a built-in. It's not an, an extra app. It's just a built-in right. feature, say, and it says feels like. I'm not sure if that is exactly wind chill factor, but the, in any case, at least you know that it feels cooler or hotter than you know what, I what think it, is? it is. I think it is because it's right underneath the wind. Okay, so there you go. So probably. All right, so... Once you have your victim in a warm, dry area, the important thing is to monitor their breathing. If a person with severe hypothermia is probably going to be out of it, may, probably unconscious, and you have to oh, continuously verify these people are breathing and make sure you are able to check their pulse because you may have to do CPR on these people. They can go into cardiac arrest. Of course, no one gets warm with wet clothing, so take off whatever they have that's soaked, probably a lot, and... The important thing is to be gentle. This person is not going to be able to help you mm -mm. get their clothes off. And you can injure them by pulling things one way or another. Uh, it's, it's something that you just have to be gentle with. 
Now, once the clothes are off, you cover the victim with layers of dry blankets, including the head, by the way, but you want to leave the face clear. You need to be able to see that this person's breathing and, and, and see their color. Uh, I would think about that sleeping bag you had when you were in Boy or Girl Scouts, that mummy bag, and I would wrap them up just like that so that the top of their head is covered, but you're not, you're not covering up the face. Now, you might not be the warm and fuzzy type, but, you know, you have body heat, and guess what? That person is in desperate need of body heat. You might save a life by sharing some of that heat, and that involves removing your clothing, yep, and lying next to the person, making skin-to-skin contact, and then covering maybe both of your bodies with blankets. I, I know that some people cringe at this notion. No, you know, you know what? Especially those people that have Being? cold feet. Oh, in their, that, or that their spouses have cold feet. They especially <laughs> are a little, are, are a little reluctant to do this because you know, they've experienced the agony of the cold feet. <laughs> Agony of but de- you know defeat. What? Agony of the cold feet. Uh, agony mm-hmm. of defeat. You're so mm-hmm. cute. But it's about being a good community member. Just like we were saying, you need to check on the older folks or people that, you know, could be in danger of freezing. You need to do what you have to do. And that means sharing your body warmth with someone to hopefully save their life. Absolutely. This is nothing to mess around with. Hypothermia is very serious. So that's the deal. You have to remember that you're trying to save a life. Now, gentle massage, rubbing, that's going to be helpful, but avoid being too vigorous. They might have frostbite or some other trauma that could be made worse by too much jostling around. Now, the question is, should you give warm liquids to a person with hypothermia? And not if they have evidence that they aren't with it mentally. Now, if your victim can't answer questions coherently, nods off a lot or is just playing out, like a light, well, you know, you don't want to shove fluids into them because it probably will go down the wrong pipe and cause a condition called aspiration. And aspiration basically damages the lung's ability to get oxygen into the body. It's it's worse than what you're starting off with in somebody that's hypothermic. And so give warm oral fluids only if your victim is awake and alert, if and only if the affected person is alert. And make sure they're able to swallow... If they're able to swallow, provide a warm, non-alcoholic, non-caffeinated beverage to help warm the body. So coffee's out, but maybe some warm apple cider, that would be in. So that might not be so bad. Now, let's say you can't get inside, but you still need to get warmth into a person. So what you might consider doing is using some warm, dry compresses. Things like glove warmers, if you're a skier, you know what those are, or, or foot warmers, uh, and preferably you want to put them in an area that isn't wet on the body. There are also first aid warm compresses you might carry in your pack if you're out for a winter's hike. And this is a bag filled with chemicals that warms up when you squeeze it and you pop it, so are called shaken breaks. Of course, you could put together a nice warm compress, uh, just make, make it makeshift, uh, warm, maybe not hot, but warm water in a plastic bottle, you know, the old hot water bottle, but not a hot water bottle, a warm water bottle. And it's important to apply these compresses in specific areas. And those areas are the neck, the armpit, and the groin. And why is that? Because you have major blood vessels that run close to the skin in these areas. And that assures that the heat will be more efficiently transferred to the body core. 
Of course, applying direct heat has risks. Don't use, as I said, hot water. Heating pads are scary. Heating lamps especially scary. You put them directly on the victim because the extreme heat can damage the skin, can even cause strain on the heart, can cause shock. Uh, it really can be sort of dangerous. Of course, sounds like a real mess, right? And you are absolutely correct. It is a mess to have to transport an unconscious person that's freezing to death to someplace warm and try to get their core temperature up. As they say, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, and that couldn't be more true when it comes to hypothermia. If you can prevent hypothermia, you'll save yourself a lot of headaches and maybe some heartaches as well. Now, to prevent hypothermia, you have to anticipate the climate that you're going to be traveling through. And that includes windy weather, wet weather. You have to include all that into your calculations, the possibility that you may encounter that. It's also important to condition yourself physically to be fit for the challenge and to also take into account the level of physical fitness of the people that might be going with you. Basically, Absolutely. you shouldn't do anything more than what the weakest member of your party can do. That's something that's very, very important. Let's remember that when we're hiking, honey. That's right. <laughs> we, when you're up ahead of me and you're going, come on, let's go, let's go. <laughs> I'm an old man. You're the one who has to drag me around. No, you're stronger than than anyone thinks. <laughs> you're a tough man. I'm old. I'm you're old, gonna, but I'm not frail. You're, Is that what you're, you're not, saying? You're not. You're absolutely tough. And I tell you, I think you're going to be around for another 40 years. Oh. 40 years. Gosh, that's terrible. Yeah. All right. Too bad. <laughs> Get used to it. Of course, people that travel alone, even though you may wind up having to go a little slower because you, maybe somebody's not as well in, uh, well-conditioned as you are, right. people that travel alone, they get into trouble a lot more often than those that travel in a group or at least with a partner. So make sure that you have somebody with you and make sure you have more than enough water and food available to last you for the entire trip. I don't have to tell a lot of people out there that, but you might need more than you actually want to carry. I mean, those things do weigh things, but there are a lot of lightweight things that do provide you with enough nutrition and you have to figure out a way to, you know, get if, if there's a lot of water on the route, just make sure you know how to sterilize that water so that it is safe to drink. Now, to be sure you're prepared for the weather, it's going to be very useful to remember a very simple acronym. And the acronym is, guess what? COLD, C-O-L-D. And this stands for cover, overexertion, layering, and dry. C stands for cover. Your head has a significant surface area, so you prevent heat loss by wearing a hat. I mean, not a lot of people wear hats these days, but in cold weather, you better, and that's very important. Now, instead of wearing gloves to cover your hands, consider mittens. Mittens are much more helpful than gloves to keep heat in because they keep your fingers in contact with each other. Right. And those <clears throat> conserve heat. That conserves heat. You know, your fingers are certainly warmer than whatever the material is in the glove. So it's the same thing with sleeping bags. Yes. Those ones that are like a cocoon that keep you all yes. together and right. so cozy, like warm. a two-person sleeping bag, you don't want them to have two separate compartments. Absolutely. There you go. But you want to have everything together. Uh, That's why you stay warmer. That's exactly so that you're putting basically a sleeping bag on your hands. There you go. Exactly right. 
Okay, C is for cover, O is for overexertion. So avoid activities that cause you to sweat a lot, right? Cold weather, even in cold weather, you can wind up losing body heat quickly by sweating because you're doing, I don't know, shovel, doing a lot of shoveling of snow or hiking in the wilderness. And you have to just be aware that the wetter that you're, and you're sweatier that your clothes get, the colder you're going to get in the end. So rest when necessary. Use those rest periods to self-assess yourself for any cold-related issues. And, of course, pay careful attention to the status of other people in your party, especially the elderly and the very young or those people with med chronic medical problems, diabetics, things like that. So that's something that's very important. L stands for layering, loose-fitting, lightweight, clothing. Layering, loose-fitting, lightweight clothing. That's a bunch of L's. And what you want them is in layers. So you want to trap pockets of warm air and do the best job of insulating yourself against the cold. You want to use tightly woven water-repellent material for wind protection. Uh, wool or silk inner linings, uh, those hold body heat better than cotton does. So that's something that's important to know. And there are some synthetic materials that are really good. Gore-Tex, if you're a skier, you know about that. They work. That works works very well also. Remember also to cover the head, neck, hands, and feet. And D, C-O-L-D, cover over exertion, layering. D stands for dry. Keep as dry as you possibly can. Get out of wet clothing as soon as you possibly can, too. It's very easy for snow to get into gloves and boots. Pay particular attention to your hands and feet. Now, here's something that seems probably a little counter to what you might expect. It might be different from what you would expect. Now, you remember the photos that you've seen of those St. Bernards, those dogs, big dogs, St. Bernards. They have a cask of brandy around their neck. So when they go hunting for finding these lost alpine mountaineers, they give them these, this brandy that apparently saves their life, theoretically. <laughs> Well, guess what the worst thing is to give somebody who's dying of the cold? Yep, alcohol. Yep. Alcohol may give you a warm feeling, but it actually causes your blood vessels to expand, and what that does, it res results in more rapid heat loss from the surface of your body. And if you're dying of exposure, that's something that probably isn't going to be too helpful. So that's something that is pretty important to know. Now, another thing about alcohol and also recreational drugs is that they can cause impaired judgment. Remember that those people under the influence might choose clothing that might not protect them well in cold weather. They might get disoriented easily. They just might make terrible decisions that are just plain hazardous to their health. Yep. And, of course, in some of these cold weather states like uh, Colorado, mountain states, um, parts of California, where mar marijuana is recreationally legal, and I'm sure there are more states to follow. If you're somewhat sedated as a result of smoking marijuana, you might not be able to make judgments or act or react or react more quickly. Absolutely. Well, just like we were talking about with hypothermia, that decreases the the brain response. The same thing happens with certain kinds of drugs that are sedating. Your response to issues. Um, including somebody cutting in front of you, are going to be much slower. Right. So anything that's sedating is going to calm the brain down, and you're just not going to have those reaction times of 
hurry, 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 do something, do something, do something to save yourself. All right. If you have to be at 100%, certainly being under the influence of marijuana mm-hmm. or alcohol or other drugs, probably not the best thing well, to do. And also, I just want to remind people that they have made it very clear that smoking marijuana is still a DUI. It is still driving under influence. Oh, is and it? you can get, yes, in just as much trouble for being impaired from that as you can from alcohol. Interesting. Yes. Now, how they find out <laughs> what the level is in your blood yeah, is not simple like a breathing test, but um, I've seen the bloodshot eyes, so it's possible <laughs> that the cop doesn't have to make too many, uh, sees right. too many symptoms to understand that this is probably not somebody who's uh, straight right, right this moment. <laughs> straight, straight meaning no alcohol, no drugs. Right, right. <laughs> so uh, I guess they have to do blood tests. I don't think there's any inhalation test for marijuana yet. Yeah, I don't That's know. That's probably coming. Well, I think T- if somebody inhales, there's an exhalation, right? there's an exhalation test. In other words, if somebody breathes out <laughs> some marijuana smoke into your face, yeah. you probably will know that's that true. it's that's marijuana. True. Well, let's talk a little bit about the person that's at home. Of course, you might be cozy and safe at home, but a blizzard could knock you off the grid. And that means knocking you off. Off the heat. Yep. If you have an electrical system. That's right. And you're going to want to keep people in a particular location, especially, I'd say, a small room, one of the smaller rooms in the house. If it's starting to get cold, you want to put people in an area where their body heat can warm the room. And so if you have a bunch of people that stay together, they should stay relatively close to each other. You know, just think about the penguins. In Antarctica, they all huddle oh, together. Oh, my. I don't know how they survive that. I don't that know either. That crazy. is amazing. But um, obviously, we're talking about people who don't have a fireplace. And there's a whole right. bunch of dangers with fireplaces, too. But we're talking about people who don't have any source of heat whatsoever except each other. Right. And the and electricity's it. off. And, and that's, that's how it. they depend on right. heat. Right. And, of course, you do not ever start a fire indoors. Right. Without a fireplace, an appropriate location where the smoke can go out. And don't forget, you have to have a fire extinguisher handy, too. Always oh, my goodness. have fire, exti- fire extinguishers within re- easy reach if you have a fireplace. And uh, it, you know what? Even with space heaters, if you do have electricity and you have space heaters, sometimes people don't <clears throat> place them in a appropriate location. Maybe there's some flammable stuff nearby. Yep. You make sure you have your fire extinguisher of, available and don't have a lot of flammable clutter in the in the room. Absolutely. Some of these heaters are safer than others. So make sure you look up consumer reports and check on these heaters because people will report things and you can see what the rating is and if anyone's complained about knowing that that heater started a, a fire. So do your research before you purchase something like that. That's important. Of course, basic things like staying hydrated, that's important in any disaster. So you might want to fill the bathtub, make sure you have lots of of clean drinking water. That's going to be important. Some people actually prevent the plumbing from freezing by allowing their faucets to drip somewhat. So that might might be helpful. And of course, the basics of preparedness apply. You want to stock up on non-perishable food. You want to have a weather radio, flashlights, batteries, all the stuff I probably don't have to tell you about. But I do want to talk about one cold weather issue. Winter conditions don't just affect people. 
they affect cars as well. Cold affects rubber and metal and decreases battery efficiency. It makes the tires stiff and sort of flattish. It does. For the first few hundred yards. And we first recognized this when we went uh, probably to Colorado, and it was super cold. Uh-huh. And we rented a car, of course, because we had flown there. And the tires said that they were low. Right. The tire pressure. And we thought, well, why would they rent us a car with low tire pressure? (laughs) What is wrong with these people? (laughs) What is wrong with us for not knowing that? (laughs) Well, and then we went to the rental checkout, and she says, no, that happens to us on certain nights. You know, we wake up in the morning, and these cars all say low pressure, but it'll be fine once you get going. So it did. It fixed itself Well, without having to add pressure, so that was good. Other things that happen to cars is that the motor oil and other lubricants become thicker at cold temperatures, maybe don't work quite as well. All of this stuff makes the engine work harder and makes it more likely that, guess what, that you might break down or wind up getting into an accident. So, therefore, vehicles that are going to be doing duty in extreme cold should be winterized, and you probably do this yourself at home, is switching to a lighter viscosity oil. Uh, changing to snow tires or putting chains on your tires, um, choosing the right antifreeze ratio of coolant to water. Uh, These are important things to do. Also, by the way, you should always have your gas tanks as close to full as possible in Mm -hmm. these situations because you never know when you may wind up getting stranded. Now, how about you, however? That's the car. How about you and the people in the car? You know, you are not a bear, so you can't hibernate through the cold weather in your car, you have to take measures to avoid getting stranded out in the cold because many deaths from exposure are, honestly, they're avoidable if you just take some simple precautions. First thing you should do before planning a day outside in snowy weather or planning a trip in snowy weather is to consult the the weather radio for the forecast because if a storm is on the way, you may want to postpone your outing until the weather improves. You need to dress appropriately and in layers. Remember what we said, layering is very important. It's part of the C-O-L-D. And each successive layer of clothing, the way it works is that it traps a thin layer of warm air near your body, each layer. And the best material for staying warm, wool, obviously. Wool will stay warm even if it's a little wet, unlike cotton. It wicks perspiration away from the skin, which is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, wet clothing, of course, as we mentioned, is one of the major issues that cause the loss of body core temperature. Gosh, and so much faster. That's right. Which is a good thing when you have hyperthermia. Right. <laughs> right? Right. The opposite problem is And we'll talk some... about that in right. the, the summer, probably. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> heat wave. Not an issue now. We have a heat wave coming up. Unless your electric blanket <laughs> is a little too strong, then you might get some hyperthermia. Well, some people oftentimes are caught by surprise when a winter storm hits the backcountry. If you're in the wilderness, you might already be out camping, and sure enough, an unexpected winter storm comes through. Well, what you need to do is you need to put together some form of shelter to get out of the wind. Remember, the wind chill factor is so important in uh, the keeping body temperature appropriate uh, within normal range. There are so many types of shelters. One of them is what they call a tree well. And a tree well, that's a sunken area around the trunk of a tree in very deep snow. And so what you'll see that the 
right next to the trunk that the snow gets lower and a lower. A depression. Uh, yes, there's right. a depression. Almost right? like a donut. Right, it's a, and that's what they call a tree well. And this area is relatively easy to excavate, and if the tree has low-hanging branches, actually provides some protection from not only falling snow, but maybe from wind. These are something that might be good to know about in cold weather, especially if you're stuck in the backcountry. There are, of course, you look for natural barriers that might serve as windbreaks. Of course, you know, despite that, you want to be aware, be beware mm-hmm. of slopes where you might be exposed to uh, an avalanche or drifting snow. Oh, goodness gracious. That all sounds terrible. <laughs> now, let's say you have found a tree well, and the, what you need to do is go, go into the well and dig it out so that you have a relatively snow-free area. Remember, small make make it small. Small mm-hmm. shelters will take less effort to keep warm from your body heat. Like than you were talking about do. the small room with exactly. the group of people. Yes, exactly. Um, you want to pack. You want to make the walls can be made out of snow. Uh-huh. They, they make igloos out of snow, right? Yeah, uh, you sure and, do. And that retains heat a little better than not having a wall. And uh, can well, even actually, support maybe. Make- I think they make igloos out of ice. Out of ice. I should say that. Yes, yes. (laughs) Yes, you're absolutely right. It's blocks of ice. Which is a form of snow. Yes. Well, down here in Florida, we don't have a lot of experience with igloos, guys. (laughs) That's true. If you... (laughs) Let's go to Alaska and make an igloo. Those ice blocks look really heavy, though. Never mind. Oh, my gosh. You guys. All right, well... I got me as no, but the snow. But still, you still make the, the snow, snow wall. walls. It, it, pack them tight. Um, your body heat's going to melt them a little bit, and maybe it'll freeze on the outside. So it could form almost like an ice barrier. Right, and it can provide enough support so that you can place some maybe some evergreen branches uh, and debris on on not only the floor to protect you from the cold ground, but maybe some on top to make a type of roof. Absolutely. Of course, sometimes a solar blanket might be very helpful for this purpose. Uh, these things are great. Uh, our solar blankets, I think, are oh, four my, and a half by seven and a half. They're, they're as small as a wallet or right. smaller than a wallet. You can put them in your wallet. Basically, yeah. And they actually could make a roof on one of these uh, tree wells, but the thing is, of course, you need rocks or something that would hold them oh, down into place because they right. weigh absolutely nothing. You know, it, it's like a lasagna. <clears throat> you want to have different layers so that snow packed around it and then the branches, You and if you had a mylar blanket, you could layer these things. And it's like with water filtration. You have different layers and you fill filtrate a little better the more layers you have. So you're going to insulate yourself the more layers you have. Exactly. So stack it up. That's right. Of course, uh, if you can carry a tarp around with you, that's great. But like I said, solar blankets, I think, are much more compact, easy to deal with. Uh, but winds could blow them off, so you got to tie rocks to the corners or, or put some weights on there so that they don't just fly away. Or at least the branches. All right. Now, if let's say there's deep snow everywhere, there's no tree wells, but there's a lot of deep snow. Well, you want to dig, you could dig a cave out of the deep snow and actually just be in this little cave that can insulate you at least from the wind. And so that's something that you can consider. Uh, if, if Oh, by the way, if you make a fire in the tree uh, well or in, in any small situ, small area, uh-huh then you always have to make sure you have ventilation holes in your shelter so you don't wind up getting overcome by smoke. So that's important. Um, And the entrances to your shelter and your ventilation holes should open 
preferably at a 90 degree angle to the prevailing winds. Right. That makes sense. Now, remember, you need to stay hydrated if you're stuck out in the snow, but you should not eat snow just as it is because what happens is the body has to melt. Once you take it in, your body has to melt it and it uses heat to melt it. And so you wind up losing a little heat as a result. If you don't have a fire that helps you melt snow, then put a container, have a, go carry a container with you and put the container with it in your clothes, not next to the skin, but between layers. And some of that warm air, remember those little layers of warm air will help melt it. And then you can drink it as well. And I think much you know, more safely. Speaking of drinking, I, I just want to mention you're, you're talking about staying hydrated. If you are in your house and you do have a way to make tea, there is um, sort of a myth out there that tea is a dehydrating fluid. And it's not. I just want to make sure that everyone understands that they've done studies and they have shown that black tea, green tea, even herbal tea, like chamomile tea, uh, has the same hydration effect as water. So you're not doing a body harm by drinking hot tea. Now, if a tea has, a, or even, <clears throat> and some coffees, even if they have a diuretic effect, in other words, make you go pee. Slight, right. You know, they, remember, you're still taking in fluids. Exactly. It's not like taking a pill it's, that makes you go pee, like a diuretic, like some people It's a net positive, take. actually. So... They're as hydrating as water, so don't be afraid to drink hot tea. And you know what? Tea has lots of antioxidants. Mm -hmm. You have health benefits. So have a morning cup of tea. Or, again, if you're in one of these situations we're talking about, uh, don't think that you can only drink water. It's okay to have hot tea. It's okay to have some coffee. Uh, even sports drinks are wonderful. Milk is very hydrating. So you can think of other things to have other than water if you happen to have those. By the way, we talk a lot about alternative medicine as well. We're integrative medical professionals. That means that we try to combine conventional and alternative methods to deal with various issues. Remember, in a survival situation, you got to use all the tools in the woodshed. So that's something that's important. Now, let me talk a little bit more in the few a little time that we have left. In your car... Make sure that you drive as if your life depends on it, because it does. Do not speed, tailgate, weave from lane to lane in snowy weather. Make turns slowly and deliberately, and don't make quick stops and starts. Okay, be very, very careful about that. Now, let's say you're stuck on the road in a blizzard. Help might be on the way, but what if it isn't? Aha, you could be in the middle of a lonely highway somewhere. It's important. The first thing, it's important to stay calm. Do not leave the car. It's warmer there than outside, and you're protected from the wind. Logical? You have your own shelter. Right. You have a built-in shelter in your car with no effort whatsoever. Exactly. Now, wet snow can block up your exhaust pipes and can cause carbon monoxide gas to enter the passenger compartment. So you do need fresh air. You do have to crack a window, but not on the side where the wind's coming from. Always figure out where the wind's coming from and open a window slightly on the opposite side. Now, if you're in a group, huddle together as best you can to create a warm pocket in the car and rub your hands like I'm doing now. Put them in your armpits. <laughs> Otherwise, there are keep moving. There are visual demonstrations right. that occur during the radio show. So, yes. <laughs> right. And that you don't see. So but pay attention. It actually yes. happens. <laughs> yeah. 
So the bottom line is if you keep moving a little bit, that helps your muscles produce heat. Uh, maybe you can dig yourself out if your car is stuck in the snow. But remember, overexertion and extreme cold, scary. You'll sweat. Wet clothes are a main cause of hypothermia. Of course, if you have flares, use them. Let other people know you, that you need help. And there's some things that I want you to keep in your car, especially for cold weather. And that includes, so, so I have a blizzard winter car kit, blizzard survival car kit. They should include things like wool blankets, uh, spare sets of dry clothes, right. especially socks, hats, and maybe mittens, uh, hand warmers or other instant heat packs that they last for hours. So that would be definitely good to give you some time. Uh, you might consider having fire starters and lighters uh, to manufacture heat, uh, flashlights and candles. Uh, to, uh, I'm not so happy about candles, but I mean, flashlights. Keep the batteries separate to extend uh, life or at least put them in backwards and then put them in frontwards when Absolutely. you actually but need it. Keep an eye on expiration dates of batteries and check them. Right, because they can corrode. <laughs> they corrode. Yeah, they can be real nasty. You're like, oh, I really need this flashlight right now. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that is not a good thing. <laughs> Other things that might be useful are uh, small multi-tools with, let's say, uh, a blade, screwdriver, pliers, things like that. A combination tool like a old military surplus shovel or Chinese army shovel. They have some pretty crazy shovels they use for just about everything. Chop your head off and saw and cut a tree down um so, so a little sand or rock salt might help to give traction where it's needed uh, maybe a tow chain or a rope if somebody comes by can help uh, i mentioned flares you want uh, starter cables to get some have, make sure well you should always have a starter cable in your your car mm -hmm. uh, some extra food and water energy bars mres dehydrated soups candies things like that some baby wipes for hygiene purposes a medical kit, of course. I know where you can get some good ones. It's store.doomandboom.net. Uh, uh, maybe a tarp and some duct tape. If you get it, in a, if you get if that, make it brightly colored so it's more easy to see in the snow. Uh, and of course, uh, maybe a metal cup and thermos to melt snow, make soup, things like that. Uh, you might want to have a whistle or some other kind of noisemaker to signal for help. And of course, you want to have your cell phone. And a charger, that's going to be important. If you have a small weather radio, a hand crank radio, maybe, might be a good idea. So these are some of the things that I would want you to have in your car during the winter, especially if you're going to be driving through some lonely roads. Lonely roads. As part of Aww. your daily commute or as part of remote, an occasional ride. Remote right, lonely especially roads, Especially if you're Absolutely. remote you live on a homestead. We talk a lot about homestead medicine this is something that you would wind up doing during the winter in most parts of the country, and you have to be very, very careful. You do not want to get marooned, and if you do, you'll have a lot more time to get rescued if you have the things in the list that we just mentioned. This is pretty much all the time we have for this I week. Know. We really appreciate your listening to the Survival Medicine Hour. I am Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones, and this is Amy Alton an advanced registered nurse practitioner, also known as Nurse Amy. Amy, and you can find us at doomandbloom.net. Matter of fact, we have surpassed our 1,000th article, podcast, and video on the website, and we hope that you'll visit us there. Plus, on YouTube, on Twitter, and gosh, all the other social media mm -hmm. that we have, there is 
always something to read on our website or to watch on our YouTube channel. So please check us out. Thanks again, and we will see you next week. Hi, I'm Joe Alden, MD of www.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over 600 posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness. Along with my wife, nurse practitioner Amy Alden, we're the authors of the Amazon bestseller, The Survival Medicine Handbook, with over 200 five-star reviews. A disaster can strike at any time, and the ambulance may not always be heading in your direction. We've got an entire line of medical kits, supplies, and educational resources that can help you deal with injuries and illness in everything from a wilderness hike to the aftermath of a major disaster. Check them out at our shop at store.doomandbloom.net. In a disaster, you'll be glad you did. In these days of terrorists, active shooters, and worse, every school, workplace, and homestead should have the equipment necessary to save a life. The first aid bleeding control module is meant to provide the items you need to stop hemorrhage. It's compact, lightweight, and has easy-to-read waterproof instructions. If every teacher's desk, worker station, and car or truck had one, have no doubt, it would save lives. Available at store.doomandbloom.net. That's store.doomandbloom.net.